Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, Ottawa's mayor takes the stand. It was lawlessness. They were harassing people in restaurants, tearing off their masks. Testifying before the Public Order Emergency Commission, Jim Watson describes the chaos on the ground and the frustration behind closed doors as Ottawa tried to get Ontario's Ford government more engaged. I think there was a sense by some in the community why is the Premier not here? But We'll take a look at what we learned on this day four of the inquiry's work. And... This is not uh, within the spirit and intent of reconciliation, and it's very paternalistic. Assembly of First Nations Chief Roseanne Archibald on establishing a National Council for Reconciliation. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Sarabio. It's been a long day for Ottawa's Mayor Jim Watson. Spending hours before the Public Order Emergency Commission, the Mayor talked about the challenge protesters created for city officials, the actions he found most troubling, and how thankful he was for what the Emergencies Act made possible. I thought this is a very positive step to getting this situation resolved once and for all because of the provisions in the Act. So I very much uh, supported it, and I uh, was, um, uh, as you may recall, uh, the, the, ch- the current chair of the Police Service Board, Eli Elshantir, and I sent a letter to the Prime Minister thanking him for invoking the act because it actually acted as the catalyst for us to move forward and get that uh, whole situation uh, in the downtown core resolved once and for all and give people their street and their homes back. Well, with more, let's bring in CPAC's Andrew Thompson, who's been covering the story. So, Andrew, uh, what more did we hear from the Ottawa mayor? Because in practical terms, what arguments did he make in favour of using the Act? Well, Michael, Jim Watson admitted today that both the city and police had lost control of the situation in downtown Ottawa, and they needed help to end the lawlessness that had taken root, and they needed help to get vehicles removed from the occupation zone. So while the mayor said that the city had not formally requested or been consulted about that federal emergency declaration, he does believe Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did the right thing in invoking the Emergencies Act, especially because one provision of that act made tow trucks an essential service, and that compelled hesitant operators to begin clearing the streets. Here's part of what Jim Watson said today as he recalled that process beginning to happen. I can tell you it, it sounds a little bit hokey, but you know when I came out of City Hall after the Emergency Act, I saw a whole row of tow trucks parked on Laurier Avenue. I thought I'd never thought I'd see the day where I'm so happy to see a tow truck, because these tow trucks uh, ended up doing an excellent job, basically hauling all of the trucks and trailers and campers and everything else uh, out of Wellington Street. And, um, you know, what they had to do, because the the companies were still fearful there'd be retribution by some of the the trucking convoy, they had to put decals of the Ottawa Police Service over their their company decal, almost deputizing them with a a logo so that they wouldn't be um, harassed uh, after the whole incident was over. And Michael, the mayor mentioned Wellington Street just now. Jim Watson also saying today if he could go back in time, he would have insisted 
on barricades on that street to prevent the convoy from establishing itself in that symbolic location right in front of Parliament Hill. Now, that stretch of Wellington Street remains closed to traffic and the mayor said it remains an open question over which jurisdiction will ultimately police that part of the parliamentary precinct. Now, also coming out today uh, was the issue of action or inaction on behalf of the Ontario government because while thankful for their ultimate engagement, uh, Mayor Watson did express some frustration about uh, the seeming lack of urgency from the Ford government. Talk to us about that. Right, Michael, several glimpses of that criticism uh, in Jim Watson's testimony today and in some of the email evidence we saw. We learned the mayor told the prime minister on February 8th that Ontario's then Solicitor General Sylvia Jones was being, quote, disingenuous about the level of provincial police support being provided. The prime minister and the mayor also talked about Ontario Premier Doug Ford staying distant for, quote, political reasons that included a refusal to join a working group coordinating the government response to the occupation. Here's Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson talking about one of his conversations with the Premier. The Premier uh, was adamant that he did not feel it would be useful to have three levels of politicians sitting around a table. And did he say why he didn't think that was going to be, that wasn't necessary or helpful? Well, you know, it, he, I, I think he felt it would be a waste of time. You know, I, you know, when he said that, um, I was quite frustrated with him. He said, look, at what's it going to accomplish? A bunch of people sitting around a table talking and making decisions. And I said, well, that sounds like a cabinet meeting. And uh, he didn't like that. But at the end of the day, um, it was his call. If he wasn't going to go to forces minister to go to the meeting or not go to the meeting, he just said they're not going to be part of it. And Watson also alleged Doug Ford didn't want to, quote, where the situation in downtown Ottawa because he considered the whole occupation to be a local police responsibility. Watson did testify, however, that the provincial government was a strong partner once Queen's Park became more engaged, but he does believe the entire occupation could have been ended much sooner. Michael. CPAC's Andrew Thompson, thank you. Well, members of Parliament are following the proceedings at the inquiry quite closely. And to talk about what we heard from the mayor in his testimony, we're now joined by Yasser Nakvi. He's the Liberal MP for the riding of Ottawa Centre, as well as Matthew Green, who is the NDP Member of Parliament for the riding of Hamilton Centre in Ontario. Hello to the two of you. Hi. Hi. Listen, Mr. Nakvi, I'm going to begin with you, uh, because you're riding, of course, the epicentre of the protest. What's your reaction to Mayor Wat Watson's assessment that the invocation was a positive step in dealing with the protests? Well, I think what we heard from the mayor today and what we've been hearing from the witnesses who have been before the commission uh, is, uh, is really sort of demonstrating um, and reminding us what uh, my community went through over the 24-day period in the beginning of the year. Uh, uh, this protest uh, was not uh, nor lawful or peaceful. It was an occupation of downtown Ottawa, just not the street before uh, Parliament Hill, but also the residential uh, parts uh, of uh, downtown Ottawa. And the result was that um, so many members of my community uh, were, were harassed. Uh, they were held essentially hostage. 
uh, for over 20 days in their own homes, seniors who were not able to go to their medical appointments or children who were not able to attend school uh, because of the level of harassment and intimidation. I mean, we were seeing honking that was taking place all through the day and the night. There were fireworks in the middle of uh, residential streets. And we are hearing from witnesses, including the mayor, that things were out of control. Um, and uh, there, was, there was no real sense of how this, this occupation is going to come to an end until the Emergencies Act was invoked, and that resulted in putting an end uh, to this illegal occupation. Mm -hmm. Now, Mr. Green, you, you're on record as saying that invoking the act was, quote, uh, have grave implications, but your party also supported uh, the Trudeau government with the invocation. So how do you respond to what you heard from the Ottawa mayor? Uh, does it address the grave implications that you were concerned about? Well, certainly we made the support based on the information that was publicly available and, of course, based on the fact that we were also experiencing what people across the country were experiencing in terms of the occupation and witnessing the blockades. However, we were doing that based on the information that was publicly made available. What was clear is there was a failure of all levels of government, including the police. Uh, I certainly have some concerns and some of the contradictions that are coming up over the course of the inquiry. You know, we have a situation where it appears that many people involved are trying to pass the buck, but ultimately, you know, we're in a scenario where over these next weeks and, and, and ensuing months, we hope that we can get the facts of the matter in terms of who knew what when and be able to provide recommendations back to the House and the Senate to ensure that this uh, Emergency Act situation, this unprecedented very historic situation um, has a, a more fulsome def set of definitions and responsibilities because what's clear is that in the onset of this nobody really had a plan well i want to pick up on that point because you know we, we've yet to hear from the former police chief but uh, he will be appearing before the commission later on but what we have seen so far uh, or at least heard are from city officials and one interesting fact was the fact that the city officials in Ottawa, as well as local police, seem to believe that this was only going to be a weekend protest. And that's despite the media reports out there. That's despite the social media postings put out by the, the organizers of the protest themselves. So given that that was the impression, do you think the Emergencies Act would have been invoked had police done perhaps a better job of monitoring what this protest was about. Mr. Nakvi, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, we we know the, the protest was taking place and uh, I don't know uh, as to whether people understood that it will turn into an unlawful and uh, unpeaceful uh, occupation to the extent uh, it, it did ha happen. You know, it is important to to remind everyone that that in our system, police is responsible for matters of policing to ensure uh, law and order, to ensure security. And politicians cannot tell police what to do or what not to do. So, in this particular instance, I mean, I live in Ottawa. I live. Uh, I represent downtown core, and so I was quite involved in all a lot of the conversations that were taking place when it came to the matters of uh, operation. Uh, and enforcement of the law. We were, of course, relying on Ottawa Police Service because that is the police uh, service that is responsible for providing security in, in the downtown core of the uh, Ottawa, even 
parts that are next uh, to Parliament Hill. Um, and in this case, uh, it's clear that uh, police was not able uh, to stop uh, that occupation. In fact, it continued uh, to, to grow, even though a lot of resources were being provided by both provincial government and federal government. Um, and in the end of the day, uh, there was no, uh, no um, recourse left but to invoke uh, the Emergencies Act that finally did the job. Um, I just also want to remind the fact that, that we had two states of emergency in place in that 20-day period. Ottawa first declared one, and then Ontario declared the next one, but that still did not end the illegal occupation of Ottawa's downtown core, not to mention the blockades that were taking place on borders across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, as we said on social media, even before the protesters got to Ottawa, they were very clear that they were going to be here for some time. So, Mr. Green, what do you think? Had Ottawa police yeah. done a better job of responding to that, do you think the Emergencies Act would have been necessary? No, I, I don't. I mean, at the end of the day, this was a wholesale breakdown of policing. And while Mr. Nackvi would like to suggest that politicians weren't involved, we come to know through testimony and disclosure that the mayor of Ottawa was involved. He was trying to negotiate uh, with the organizers of this event. In fact, he facilitated a staging area off-site where they could be refueled and have food and have all of these different replenishments. And so uh, this was a very murky situation, one that would have required strong national leadership across the country, one that would have had uh, certainly premiers who were missing in action. Obviously, you know, Mr. Ford under the Emergency Act there could have used the, the Ministry of Transport to levy fines. The Attorney General of Ontario could have used aid to civil power. And yet none of that stuff occurred. It seemed like everybody was content to point their finger at somebody else, and including, quite frankly, uh, the federal government by taking leadership to ensure that this stuff uh, would, would come to an end. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the Ontario Premier because he was uh, in the Ottawa region, uh, Western Ottawa, in fact, yesterday, and he was asked about the, the inquiry, asked about the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Let's take a listen to what we heard from Doug Ford. I stood shoulder to shoulder with the, the Prime Minister. Uh, the, these uh, folks were, were, you know, camping out everything from whirlpools, disrupting downtown, disrupting the lives of the people of Ottawa. Uh, we've worked collaboratively with, with the mayor and the, the, the prime minister over at the borders. They were holding up a billion dollars of trade every single day getting across our borders. We were getting phone calls from governors. It's unacceptable. Now, I play that, Mr. Nackby, because we did hear from the mayor of Ottawa today describing really his frustration at the lack of urgency with which the Ontario provincial government initially responded to the protests. And yet here we have Doug Ford saying that he was standing shoulder to shoulder with the prime minister at the time. What do you make of that? Well, I'm, I'm, I was delighted to hear the Premier reconfirm his support for the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Uh, it highlights that, that uh, both federal government and provincial government was, was uh, working in, in tandem when it comes to ending uh, the occupation, uh, which had lasted for, uh, for 24 days. Uh, I think it's really important to remember that um, the, the, the step to invoke the emergency was an unprecedented step. It has never been done in, the, in its 30 years history. And, and the federal government had to be very cautious and make sure that we do the appropriate consultations. Uh, and that's why it did take the step when it, it, it did uh, to, to not only end the occupation here in Ottawa, to, but also to make sure that no other blockades of our border crossings across the country uh, uh, takes, uh, takes place. 
one of the one of the most important i think aspect of this uh, inquiry is is to is to learn from what happened that's why this, this public inquiry is taking place and hopefully have recommendations as to how these type of situations do not repeat again of course this is not to take away from a people's right to protest peacefully but what we saw in ottawa what we saw in our borders uh, was not uh, nor uh, peaceful or lawful mm -hmm. again echoed by by the premier but you know to listen to the ottawa mayor today the the premier was not as engaged as he should have been in the early days uh, mr green i saw you uh, yeah, shaking your head ridiculous. when you heard that it's absolutely ridiculous. If he's standing shoulder to shoulder with the prime minister, my question is where? You know, the fact remains that the federal government, the provincial government were nowhere to be found while the city of Ottawa was left to its own devices. You had residents who had to take to the streets to stop uh, this, this, this terrorizing of their neighborhoods, to actually confront in a counter protest uh, the, the terrorizing of their neighborhoods while law and order was completely, uh, had completely evaporated and disappeared. And so, you know, we have this situation where, uh, yes, we have this judicial inquiry happening right now, but we also have, through legislation, uh, the ability through the parliament in our joint review committee, which Mr. Nakvi is on, to have the facts presented to us. And the truth is, is that over the course of the last six months, while we've been trying to get to the bottom of this, the Liberal government has refused to provide answers to Canadians. And no matter which side of the debate people are on, in this particular moment, the most significant decision this house and this session will ever make the the public demands the truth they demand to have the facts of the matter presented in a way where the public can decide ultimately whether or not the federal government meant the threshold to invoke the emergency act under the CSIS act section two okay so i'll give the last word then to you mr nackby uh, given what we just heard from mr green how does this inquiry inform the the joint parliamentary committee how does it inform the road forward do you think well first of all i'm going to disagree with mr green's uh, characterization i think the government the federal government is acting in the most transparent manner there are two processes under Emergencies Act that are taking place. One, the joint committee that uh, Mr. Green and I are part of, and the other, the public inquiry. Documents have been provided, cabinet confidences have been waived. In fact, the prime minister will be testifying before the public inquiry as well. And several key ministers have been in front of the joint committee and they will also be testifying uh, at, at the public inquiry. So there's, there's a lot of work going on uh, because it was an unprecedented step, but I really believe and I advocated for it that it was a necessary step because after 24 days of, of an illegal occupation in Ottawa, people were at their wits. Clearly the Ottawa police was not able to manage or put an end to the situation and therefore the, the, the extraordinary powers under the act were put in place to help end the occupation and avoid any further blockades of, uh, of our borders and the proof Michael, is mm -hmm. that it did work, and we did end the occupation right here in Ottawa. But going forward, how does the, the commission uh, inform what the, the joint committee is going to be doing? I, I hear you saying that at the end of the day it was effective, but effective is not what's a question here. Whether it was justified is what's questioned That's here. That's correct. Well, and I, I, again, the, I think the public inquiry is looking into this, the work that joint committee is doing, and there's a fair bit of evidence that has been generated, and there's more work to be done. Uh, all that cumulative uh, uh, evidence, all that uh, cumulative testimony is, is going to allow us to look at not, not only the validity of the federal government's decision in invoking 
the Emergencies Act, which I believe was, was valid and was the right thing to do, um, but also to ensure that we learn lessons from this circumstance uh, in order to avoid the same mistakes in the future. Okay, well, the commission continues its work. You guys are doing your work, so thank you to the two of you right now. We'll speak again, I'm sure. Uh, Yasser Nakvi, Matthew Green, thank you for the time tonight. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. And an editorial note, we did invite the Conservative Party to provide a member of Parliament to be a part of tonight's panel. None were available. Back in June, the Minister for Crown Indigenous Relations introduced a bill to create a National Council for Reconciliation. A direct call of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the bill passed second reading. It is now at the committee stage. And yesterday, National Indigenous leaders commented on the process so far. Joining us now is the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald. She was among the leaders who appeared before committee. Chief Archibald, thank you for joining us. Good to see you. Good to see you, Michael. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, but I do want to begin with the very idea uh, of a National Council for Reconciliation. Talk to us about what this is and what this effort is meant to address. This is a recommendation that came out of, or it's one of the, there's three calls to action in this uh, National Council. And that came out of the TRC uh, report, which is very survivor driven. And so this comes from survivors as a recommendation, as a call to action to the government. And as the Assembly of First Nations, we had this discussion last November. I don't know if you remember the whole flag scenario of when the flags would go up and when mm -hmm. they would go down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as an AFN um, executive, the regional chiefs and I said, you know, one of the things that we need to have happen, a couple of things. One is to place the orange flag somewhere. We wanted it placed on the Peace Tower. We found out that that protocol was not, it wasn't possible. And the other thing that we recommended uh, through a motion that we passed was the establishment of this National Council on Reconciliation. So the AFN is absolutely in support of these calls to action that will create the National Council um, for reconciliation and we certainly feel that our callback in November was a, a concerted effort by ourselves and others to get this council established. Mm -hmm. So getting the, the calls to action, uh, getting some momentum on them and, and, and to your point this is calls to action 53 to 56 that this council would, would actually address. Now it includes multi-year funding uh, for a council. What do you think of that? Is multi-year sufficient? You know during my presentation yesterday I actually said that if reconciliation were a book, let's call it a 12 chapter book, we are in the first chapter, but we're really only on the first sentence of that book of reconciliation. It's a long road. We're talking about over 500 years of colonization. We're talking about hundreds of years of impact around the safety of our children and our women since the beginning of contact. So there's a big long impact that's happened to First Nations. It's been very damaging to our communities. And so as a result, we really need to think about 
this long road ahead of us. We need to, the, the priority and the thing that we must get done as soon as possible are the 94 calls to action. That would be the end of the first sentence. And then there's ongoing work on reconciliation. It's about a relationship. We're trying to reconcile the truth of this country. We're trying to reconcile our relationship with government. We're trying to reconcile our relationships with just non-Indigenous Canadians who have benefited greatly from access to our lands and resources and waters, have built untold wealth on the backs of First Nations people. And so that road to reconciliation is a long one. We have to begin to really talk about economic reconciliation so that our First Nations can move beyond poverty and move into prosperity and have that abundance that the Creator gave us when we were placed here on Turtle Island. So it's a bigger question for me, it's a bigger process, and getting these calls to action done is a part of the council's work to monitor to that, to do an annual kind of assessment of where governments and uh, groups are at in terms of those 94 calls. And it really falls on the federal government for certain to be the main player in mm -hmm. those 94 TRC calls to action. Main player, and when it comes to this National Council, it would seem that multi-year is insufficient. It would seem that what you're looking for, based on the description here, is a far more permanent funding model for this council to do its work. Yeah, sorry, I went down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. But yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, you know, we do need long-term funding for the council and we need long-term funding for reconciliation. And one of the things I've been talking about since I've been elected is to establish a healing fund, a national healing fund. Every time these um, former institutions of assimilation and genocide are investigated, that triggers every survivor that went to that particular institute and also survivors across Canada. And it triggers intergenerational trauma survivors. It triggers non-Indigenous um, Canadians as well. And so we really need to look at what is the national healing path forward. And we need to have that funded, for example. And that's not necessarily in the TRC calls to action, specifically that we establish a national healing fund, but to me, it's very obvious that we need one. And long-term funding to this issue is absolutely essential to us walking that healing path forward here on Turtle Island, or what we now call Canada. Mm -hmm. Now, when you mentioned the, the, the testimony that you gave yesterday, it was also interesting because uh, beyond uh, raising the issue uh, of, of funding and, and what you said that you already addressed with, with the committee, another issue that was raised by you had to do with the makeup of the council and how members of this council would be chosen. Talk to us about your concerns right now as to the current proposal if the amendments that you're referencing are not made. I brought this up with Minister Miller in a phone call before we presented to the committee and indicated to him that the majority of children who were taken from their homes and their communities were First Nations children. And the, you know, First Nations have such a wide and deep impact uh, because of these institutions 
the Métis also have an impact, and so do the Inuit. Everybody does. And so when we wanted to make a recommendation on the makeup of the, the, the council itself, we recommended three be appointed by the AFN, two by the Métis, and two by the Inuit. That makes the majority of the board. And then we would work with the federal government to appoint the remaining members of that uh, council. So that was our recommendation. It's very concise and clear. And whether those amendments are incorporated, we don't know. We want them there. Whether the government acts on them or not is unclear to me. It was interesting because you said if the amendments are not adopted, it, it reeks too much of colonialism. It certainly does. And that was my, uh, when I did talk to Minister Miller, I said, you know, you can't drive this process as the government and as the minister. That's very paternalistic. It's, you're falling backward into the old colonial system where, you know, the government feels that it knows better of what First Nations and Indigenous people need. And so that was my comment during the committee is that we have to move forward, not back into paternalism, but move forward in true partnership. And true partnership means that the perspectives of First Nations, particularly around these institutes, are taken into account in the makeup of the new board, as it were. Uh, but again, wanting to support the Métis and Inuit as well uh, in appointing representatives. Are you hopeful at this point, and we're quickly running out of time, but I do have to ask, are you hopeful at this point that your concerns will be listened to and that a council will be created quickly? I do have to tell you something about Mark Miller. Um, I've always had a really positive relationship with him, and I met him long before he was the minister. and. I just have such a, uh, a sense of, um, I guess it is hope uh, that he has heard us and that those changes will be made, but we won't know until you know the final, the final reading and the final amendments are made. Chief Roseanne Archibald, thank you for this. Always good to speak with you. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Michael. Take care. You too. Take care. And that is our program for this evening. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. I'm Michael Serapio. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you.